<clears throat> At this time, we have Lawrence Gregory come with a sermon, The Secret Rapture, Is It a True Doctrine? question today is, the secret rapture, is it a true doctrine? The answer is no. I have three points to share today. One is, briefly, what is meant by the word rapture? I want to present some clear scriptures on Jesus' return and the first resurrection. And third, come back to then the origin and development of the secret rapture. Now, the word rapture does not occur in the Bible, as you know. It doesn't occur in Hebrew or Greek. It's a Latin word, a Latin word that means seized or to carry away. Now, what is commonly taught and explained and believed by so many today is that in the end time Jesus returns secretly to snatch away Christians from the earth and then returns again to rule at the end of a seven-year great tribulation. Now there are different uh, beliefs in that in that some believe that Jesus is going to come at the beginning of the tribulation. Those are called premillennialists or pre-tribs, pre-tribulation believers. Some believe he's going to come after three and a half years in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. And those are called mid-trib or mid-tribulation believers or mid-millennial believers. And uh, then the third is those who, come, who believe that Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation, and those are called post-tribulation. So you can see there are many differences within that belief. We've had a lot of books written about the tribulation, about the secret rapture. We've had songs. We've had movies about the secret rapture. And... Uh, We'll come back later and consider that a little more specifically about the rapture. But first, I'd like us to consider a few basic, very well-known scriptures among the churches of God, Sabbatarian believers in the return of Christ and the resurrection. Plus, there are many other things that are going to take place at Christ's return. So we'll discuss that just briefly. But I have a few basic scriptures that I'd like to read first. And we're familiar with so many of these, but uh, for those that might be seeing this later or tuned in on the internet, first scripture references in Revelation, the first chapter, verse 7. And John is talking about Jesus. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Doesn't sound like he's coming secretly or privately or sneaking in, does it? And they also which pierced him. Well, how can you account for those that pierced, that killed Jesus, a soldier that took the sword and pierced him, with those who are in the first resurrection? Because we tend to understand the scriptures that say that there is a second resurrection when those unbelievers who are not caught up in the first resurrection and who aren't saved during the millennial times are given their opportunity in the second resurrection. So it must mean that those who pierced him will have an opportunity to see him, as well as those who see him when he returns. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen, so be it. Well, of course, do you think the world today, the world global leaders, the politicians and the rulers, really want to see Jesus Christ come and do away with all of their governments and put them out of their paycheck? and get rid of all of their power that they have. No wonder they're going to be mourning when they see and 
Another thing, and I'm not going to go too much, they've been told a lie that this is a false, maybe an invasion from outer space coming because the Christ is already somewhere else. We'll see those scriptures. Or in the temple there in Jerusalem, or he's over in the desert, or he's someplace. We'll read those scriptures. Jesus said, don't believe that. When he comes, every eye of people will see him. Matthew 24, 29 in the Olivet Prophecy. We're so familiar with these verses, but I want to just read them again for context here. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation, now Jesus laid out seven major events that were going to take place. And the book of Revelation confirms that in the seven seals of Revelation. So the fifth major event is tribulation. After that, immediately after the tribulation of those days, of a few years, politically, uh, prophetically I mean, shall the sun be darkened, heavenly signs, sixth event, sixth seal, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man, in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, Matthew 25, just skip up there. We've explained these so many times and gone through them, but uh, let's go 25, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep, from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left, and uh, then shall, or then shall the king, Jesus Christ, say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. First Thessalonians four sixteen and other scriptures to here, first Corinthians and first uh, Thessalonians. We read First Thessalonians four sixteen, uh, really beginning in verse uh, fourteen. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede, the word Greek uh, in uh, translated English as prevent, but it means precede, as the Greek means, shall not precede them which are asleep. So the dead rise first, and then the living are changed. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What I'm reading here doesn't sound like a secret doctrine, does it? Doesn't sound like a secret coming to snatch away believers. 1 Corinthians 15 now, I know Steve went over these scriptures just uh, seems like a week or two ago, and we go through them uh, continually, but uh, for the sake of this message today, in context, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward he was the first resurrected, Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming, that's believing saints, dead and living. Then comes the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule 
and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. That's Christ, the last enemy that he puts under his death. Skip over to verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, and this corruptible puts on incorruption, and mortal puts on immortality. Now, we know seven great events of, of uh, the Olivet prophecies in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the seven seals of Revelation. The fifth seal is the tribulation. The sixth seal is, is the uh, heavenly signs. And the seventh seal is comprised of seven trumpet blasts. And the seventh trumpet blast is comprised of seven last plagues. Jesus comes at the sound of the last trump, for the trumpets shall sound, he'll whistle, he'll shout, the archangels, a lot of excitement, angels coming, the dead coming, the resurrection, Christ is coming, as those last plagues are poured out in his presence, as, he's, as he comes at the sound of the seventh trumpet. We want to remember that, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and Christ returns. Now, I'd like to give a few misunderstood scriptures that are referenced to the secret rapture. They're misapplied and misunderstood. Go back to Matthew 24th chapter. Matthew 24, 42 through 51. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is he is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of. And shall appoint him, or cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what we get out of this is that Jesus is coming, but there are seven different references to him coming as a thief. And one of them is that he is coming here to show to those who are aware, who are watching, who are aware. They don't know the day or the hour, but they can know the seasons and the time because he's given many indication of the close proximity of time that we can know when that's going to occur. And I'm not going to go. We've gone into all of those in, in past times. But uh, let's go to another uh, reference in Revelation, the 16th chapter. Revelation 16 and uh, verse 15. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, this is Jesus talking. I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. So there, as I mentioned before, seven different references to Jesus coming as a thief. Now, if you lived in your neighborhood and you knew some thieves and burglars were working in your neighborhood and were kind of expecting them to come, you'd be watching and waiting, wouldn't you? If you were just sleeping and not paying any attention, the thief could come break into your home and you wouldn't know it maybe or would startle you. So what we have here is Jesus is talking about the manner of his coming, not the actual event. So the manner of his coming is a thief. Some are not aware of it, but others who are aware, it's very obvious and it's very clear, and he's coming in a very visible, physical way. 
So those who are unprepared may not be expecting him to come in that or that particular time. They're just going to ignore it. They're not going to listen. They've got their own ideas. Now, here's uh, a few more scriptures in Matthew 24, 36, 41. Back up. Uh, Matthew 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour... Knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. At that, that's at that time, so maybe now Jesus knows as he's prepared. Maybe the Father has shared with him, you're going to come at this hour. Maybe they're waiting to develop things as they go along. And then the exact hour and the, and the day and the time, he'll say, it's time to go. And he comes. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So compare the days of Noah, the flood of Noah. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding in the meal, at the meal, mill, and one shall be taken and the other left. Okay, now, remember, Noah's flood. Who was left? Noah and his righteous. All eight that came through, they left. The wicked were taken away. The wicked were, were uh, killed and, and the flood took them away and they all died. They all perished. So when Jesus Christ comes, what is it that the saints are going to inherit? The earth. Where are we going to fly? Off to Mars and Venus? That's not where the problems are. That's not the solution. That's not our destiny to go out into outer space. We are to rule and reign on this earth with Jesus Christ. So we stay, but the evil, the wicked, are caught up and are taken away. Just as in the days of uh, Noah's flood. Matthew thirteen forty nine. Back up a little bit. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? Now, at that, this is God's determination and his judgment. When the saints are caught up, dead and living, and resurrected and become spirit being, rule and reign on this earth, and stay on this earth with Jesus Christ ruling. Obviously, there's going to be some folks that live over into the millennium. A number of physical beings. It's God's determination to separate the really wicked and evil and take them out. And you know, there's going to be a lot of people that don't want to go. A lot of uh, dictators and terrorists and evil, corrupt people that refuse to repent and accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God and their Savior and the Kingdom of God, and they resist and fight. God's going to get rid of them. Then He's going to leave physical human beings. Now, that's His determination of uh, how good they are or how bad or, or what levels of determination. Uh, he's going to make that determination. And then we're going to be ruling and reigning with him. We're going to be teaching, we're going to be showing, and then helping missionaries go out throughout the world and convert the world to the kingdom of God. Isaiah, the 13th chapter. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. It's in the future. Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. When the Lord comes, he's going to get the violent, bad sinners out. They're going to be those unrepentant, thrown in the lake of fire, burn up, cease to exist. Those who, whatever uh, he determines and, and whatever and, and opportunities uh, and uh, fair calling and opportunity for salvation, 
if he wants to leave some of those and work with them and us work with them, that's going to be settled out in the future. I don't know exactly about that. But one more verse here. Go back to Matthew, the 25th chapter. And um, Matthew 25, 24. Then he, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathered where you have not strawed. Let me, let me see. Um, oh, yeah, and then skip down to verse 30. Go through this uh, later. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm just going to show that the tares, the parable shows, the tares are taken out of the kingdom and burned. The wheat is left to be brought into the uh, uh, field. Maybe I have the wrong reference there. Um, anyway, we'll let that go at that. There's, there's a, a number of other uh, scriptures that we could read. I just wanted to cover a few to show Jesus Christ comes visibly to this earth not secretly. And it's the evil ones that are snatched away, that are taken away, and the righteous are the ones that are left. We, saints, converted spirit beings, Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this earth, inhabited by physical people in the millennium that are still here on the earth, just as in the days of Noah and his flood when Noah and uh, his uh, family came through and continued on living on the earth, they weren't snatched away and taken away to heaven. Now, for the uh, origin and the development of the rapture doctrine, I'm going to read more than I normally do. I brought, uh, and I'm not going to do this, there are a lot of articles and books by uh, different ones on uh, the rapture, but I want to read here from uh, this book here, The Rapture of the Saints by Duncan, uh, by Duncan McDougall, and uh, then an article uh, from um, Mr. Campbell from um, Ireland and Israel, Kingdom Believer of the um, British Israel World Federation. I think uh, Ron Wilhoyt and I met him here, talked with him a few years ago. That's uh, Alan Campbell from Belfast, Ireland. Uh, he was here in Tulsa at the time. Let me uh, read uh, from uh, The uh, Rapture of the Saints by Duncan McDougall. And this is very similar to so much uh, of those who teach the truth about the secret rapture. Uh, Ribera, another Spanish Jesuit. Let me go back first. Alcazar, a Spanish Jesuit, started the idea that the Apostle John could not possibly foretell events which were to happen hundreds of years after his own time, that he was writing merely about what was happening in his own day, and that his Antichrist was probably the Emperor Nero or some other early uh, persecutor. This theory has been adopted by German rationalists and finds favor with the modernists in the churches today. Ribera, another Spanish Jesuit, went to the other extreme and propounded the theory that the whole book of Revelation related to events to take place just at the time of Christ's second coming and therefore still in the future. The Antichrist was to be a world dictator who would appear at the end of this dispensation. The massacre of St. Bartholomew, instigated by the Jesuits, took place in 1572, and Ribera published his theory in about 1580 so that the bloodstains had scarcely disappeared from the streets of Paris, and in the sight of God, the hands of the Jesuits were still deep dyed with the innocent blood of the Protestants of France when they gave their theory to the world. It was published with a design to shift the odium of being the Antichrist away from the Pope who had held a festival and struck a medal in commemoration of the massacre. You see, the, the Roman Catholic Church used the Jesuit teachings to divert attention that they were the Antichrist from the days of John the Apostle, the, the Church of Rome, being the Antichrist all during those 2,000 years that have transpired now, 1,500 years then. 
So they wanted to put off till the future a time of a different Antichrist than the Pope. If you read in the preface of some of your King James Bibles, you'll talk about even the King James translators, Protestant translators, referred to the Pope as the false Antichrist, as the false uh, teacher that was uh, to come. So this is a, a design to shift the idea from the Pope being the Antichrist. For 250 years, from 1580 to 1830, the idea of an individual personal antichrist to appear sometime in the future was the recognized teaching of the Church of Rome, while the belief that the reign of antichrist extended all through the Dark Ages from the 4th century to the Reformation was universally held by the Protestant churches. The Jesuits, owing to their vicious principles and their encouragement of treachery and violence, making orderly and peaceable governments impossible, have been expelled sooner or later from almost every civilized country in which they have set foot. Their record covers about a hundred orders issued by different governments for their expulsion. While they were expelled from Chile, Emmanuel Lacunza, it's spelled L-A-C-U-N-Z-A, like Lacunza, but it's pronounced Lacunza, a Chilean of Spanish descent who had become a member of the order in 1747 at the age of 16, became a Jesuit, and had risen to be superintendent of the Novocytes, training them zealously in the principles of Jesuitry, came and settled in the north of Italy, where he devoted the remainder of his days to writing a book entitled The Coming of the Messiah in Glory and Majesty. Lacunta was, of course, steeped in the current Jesuit teachings that the appearance and reign of Antichrist was still in the future. And to this he added a touch of his own, namely that in order to make room for all of the events which he anticipated at the coming of Christ, there would have to be a period of time between the rapture of the saints and the actual appearance of the Messiah in his glory. Here is the germ from which sprang the whole theory that Christ was to come twice once for his saints, and again, sometime later, with his saints. So they see they begin to split that up. Christ would come secretly, and then later he would become visibly. It may seem a hard thing to suggest that a book written as a solemn meditation on the coming of Messiah in glory and majesty was produced with the intention of imposing on the world in the same way. Yet the facts point that way. Lacunta wrote under the name of Rabbi Ben Ezra, supposedly a learned Jew who had accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and was writing with a view to the conversion of the Jewish brethren. I see some of you picking up your ears at this. You thought I was talking to you about a complete stranger. You had never heard the name of Lacunta before, and you did not know who he was. But you have heard about Ben Ezra before. You have come across some futurist writers, writers quoting frequently with approval from Ben Ezra. Only you always thought he was a Christian Jew. You never had any idea he was a Jesuit. Exactly. This is just what Lacunta intended you should think. How else could he expect his teachings to gain a hearing? Not to speak of being accepted in the Protestant world with Jesuit cunning and Jesuit throughout the cloak of the converted Jew is whom is worn throughout this work. In 1816, a complete edition, apparently the first edition of Lacunza's work in four volumes, was published in London by the diplomatic agent of the Republic of Buenos Aires. The secret of the real authorship of the work though still hidden from the world under its disguise, must have been known to those concerned in this publication. Here then, on the library shelf of the official head of the Anglican Church, at the very heart's core of British Protestantism, we find these four volumes. Rome has done her work well. She has drilled the hole in the rock of reformed theology. She has driven home the charge she has laid the fuse. All is set for the blast which is to end, to send, to, to rend the rock in pieces. Excuse me. 
How long will it be till the expulsion, explosion takes place? It may take years, but Rome has infinite patience. She is willing to wait. It took ten years. In 1826, ten years after the publication of Lacunta's work, Dr. Maitland, librarian to the Archbishop of Canterbury, startled the Protestant world with the first of a series of pamphlets on prophecy in which he propounded a theory already taught for 250 years by the Jesuits that the whole book of Revelation refers only to the future and is to be fulfilled in a short period of time at the return of Christ. E.P. Catamale of Cambridge described these pamphlets as, and he goes through the description of those. Now, we go back to La Cunta. This wonderful Spanish work of Rabbi Ben Ezra has attracted so much attention in London that it must be translated into English. And here the slimy trail of the Jesuit branches off in another direction. The work of translation was undertaken by a young Scottish Presbyterian minister, later brilliant but erratic, who had been assistant to the great Dr. Chalmers in Glasgow and had come to London as minister of the Scottish Church. This was Edward Irving, founder of the Irvingites, or as they now call themselves, the Catholic Apostolic Church, a body whose beliefs and practices are among the most popular in Christendom. Some, at least, of these vagaries are distinctly traceable to the views Irving imbibed from Lacunza. At that very time, Irving heard what he believed to be a voice from heaven commanding him to preach the secret rapture of the saints. Obeying this voice, he began to preach that Christ was to come twice, first secretly for his saints, and then after an interval of seven years, the reign of Antichrist, with his saints to destroy Antichrist and to reign. Protestants had always believed, as taught in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, that the saints would be caught up, raptured, is his word, when Christ would appear in glory, and Irving's is commonly supposed to have been the first mention in the whole history of the church of a secret rapture of the saints prior to Christ's appearing in glory. When he says the, the saints believed in that they were to be raptured, be caught up, would be resurrected is, is the term of the phrase that is to be used. Now, the secret rapture, this is from Alan Campbell's book here, um, the secret rapture is a scriptural. The secret rapture doctrine was given a second door of entrance at the time by the ministry of one Edward Irving, founder of the so-called Catholic Apostolic Church. It was in Irving's London church in 1830 that a young girl named Margaret MacDonald gave an ecstatic prophecy in which she claimed there would be a special secret coming of the Lord to rapture those awaiting his return. From then until his death in 1834, Irving devoted his considerable talent as a preacher to spreading the theory of the secret rapture. Now, during this time, uh, here's a reference, uh, current reference back. Serving and Waiting is a magazine of the Philadelphia School of the Bible. And during the 1925, ran a series of articles by Harry Ironside, now Dr. Ironside, pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, on the Brethren Movement. Dr. Ironside has been for years, nearly 30, associated with Assemblies of the Brethren. You've heard of them and read their books, the Brethren. And had access to documents and sources of information available to very few. He was therefore peculiarly fitted to present the world with an authentic account of Brethrenism as it was and is, and as he was, and I believe still is, a sincere believer in the secret rapture theory, and appears to regard J.N. Darby as God's chosen instrument, 18 centuries after the time of Christ, for revealing this precious truth to the church. We shall not do the brethren much wrong in following his version. Did the secret rapture teaching originate with the Holy Spirit or with the Jesuits? Ironside is a believer in the secret rapture. Let us read very carefully what he has to say on this point. A meeting began in London in the same year, 1833. 
through a brother that Mr. Darby met while in Oxford. Some little time before this, a group of earnest Christians had been meeting in the castle of Lady Towerscourt for the study of prophecy. To these meetings, Mr. Darby and Mr. Bellet were invited. Here they also met George Wigram. He was to become one of Mr. Darby's most earnest collaborators in after years. At these meetings, a chairman was chosen, and he indicated who should speak on the subject under discussion. It became soon evident that Mr. Darby's enlightenment on prophetic themes was considerable in advance of most of the others, but the meetings were real conferences, the forerunners of the Bible reading so common in brethren meetings, except that in such meetings a chairman is dispensed with. Many clergymen attended, and quite a few who were linked with the Irvingites thus giving rise to the erroneous impression that the Brethren movement was more or less linked with the Catholic Apostolic Church. These Irvingites, however, soon dropped out because the teaching was so contrary to what they held. It was in these meetings that the precious truth of the rapture of the church was brought to light. That is, the coming of the Lord in the air to take away His church before the Great Tribulation should begin on earth. The views brought out at Powerscourt Castle not only largely formed the views of brethren elsewhere, but as years went on, obtained wide publication in denominational circles, chiefly through the writings of such men as Darby, Bellet, Newton, Tregellis, Andrew Jukes, Wigram, and after 1845, William Kelly, whose name was then linked with the uh, involvement with C.H. McIntosh, Charles Stanley, J.B. Stoney, and others. In these meetings that the precious truth of the rapture of the church was brought to light, he's speaking uh, sarcastically here, in this statement, Ironside is guilty of the serious misuse of words common among the brethren. He speaks of the rapture when he means the secret rapture, an entire different things. The rapture or the, take, or the, or the resurrection of the, the change of the church was first brought to light by Paul in 1 Thessalonians. But the secret rapture was, as we may confer correctly from our side, unknown to either Paul or any of the apostles or saints or martyrs being only brought to light, so far as he knows, at these meetings. Were the power court meetings started for the express purpose of bringing to light the secret rapture? The theory had been in print for six years in Irving's translation of Lacunta. I have, uh, this is the writer now speaking and closing it from this booklet. I have at times been confronted with an imposing array of names of Bible teachers, Gabe Lane, Panton, Schofield, Schofield Bible, who believe in the secret rapture and the future personal antichrist. How can I dare to assert that these men are all wrong? I dare to go further than that. I will venture to assert that there is not a Bible teacher nor anyone else living in the world today who has found a secret rapture in the Bible by his own independent study of the Bible itself. These teachers all come to the Bible with cut and dry theories which they have learned elsewhere and twist and torture texts to fit the theory. If the spiritual pedigree of these futurist Bible teachers could be traced back, they would all be found to spring from one source, Lacunta, the Jesuit. Okay, now, I'd like to, from, from some of my readings and books, and I may not be 100% correct on all of these because some give uh, double references, here's the name of a few of the theologians, writers, and teachers over the last few centuries that some of us will recognize that believe in the secret rapture. So when you read their writings, just be alert. Edward Irving. Margaret MacDonald, John Darby, C.H. McIntosh, C.I. Schofield, Gablin, Panton, Harry Arnside, Ribera, Lacunta, Maitland, Tregellis, Andrew Jukes, Wigram, William Kelly, John Newton, Charles Stanley, Earl Roberts, Billy Graham, Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, Clarence Larkin, plus many unnamed. Now, here's a few of those that believe in the traditional historical uh, perspective and reject the secret rapture theory generally. Martin Luther, the Apostles, Jesus, John Wycliffe, John Calvin, John and Charles Wesley, 
in the early Methodist, George Whitfield, Herbert W. Armstrong, Bishop Riley, John Knox, Bishop Wordsworth, Isaac Newton, Charles Finney, John Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs, Guinness, John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon, F.B. Meyer, Hudson Taylor, Dinsdale Young, F.C. Nezer, Duncan McDougall, Alan Campbell, whom I mentioned earlier that, uh, that I've met and visited with some of these, uh, and many others that we could uh, reference. So just be alert when you read some of those uh, theologians to know, you know where they're coming from, but they believe in a secret rapture or a visible resurrection and change of the saints and more of the historical uh, understanding of the Great Tribulation, the heavenly signs, and the Day of the Lord, and, and getting those things straight. Now, there are some Greek words in the New Testament that are uh, misapplied to state of a secret rapture, but really don't. So I'm going to read from Alan Campbell's article here from some of those Greek words. Um, in reality, there are actually six Greek words used in connection with the return of the Lord. For the sake of simplicity, we shall list these words with their English rendering and go on to show that the inspired writers of the New Testament used them interchangeably to describe not two distinct and separate comings, but one event. When we say two, that's the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. One event, not two, secretly and then coming back several years later. Uh, you've heard this word, uh, parousia, number 1660 in your Strong's. The word emphasizes the physical or actual personal presence of the one who comes. Now the scripture says in James 5, 7, uh, James 5, 7, okay. Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. This means his actual presence, not a, not a secret appearance. Apocalypse. Lupus, number 602. The scripture in 2 Thessalonians 1.7. The Lord shall be revealed from heaven. The word is apocalypse. When we get the apocalypse, the revelation. Number 602. This word stresses the revealing or unveiling of the one who comes. The Lord shall be revealed from heaven. Epiphania. Uh, from 1 Timothy 6.14, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this word appearing is Epiphania, number 2014. This word is used in the sense of the glory or majesty that will be manifested as Christ returns. Epiphania, that means gives light or becomes visible. So Jesus Christ, the light bringer, brings light, brings truth, becomes visible. And uh, that's the uh, third word. Let me go here. The fourth word, uh, Revelation 2.25, hold fast till I come. This word is used to emphasize the idea of arrival at a certain point or place. Heko, 22.40. And I searched all these words out in, in my Greek uh, dictionary vines and Strong's Concordance, so they... I uh, agree here pretty much with Alan Campbell's uh, definition. This word is used to emphasize the idea of arrival at a certain point or place. He comes to Mount Zion. He comes to this earth. He heckles. He comes. I come to you, he said. Erkomai in uh, Luke 19.13. Occupy till I come. And this word is used simply to uh, make the actual act or event of coming uh, a journey. Erkomai, I come. The word is used to actually state that occupy till I come. So occupy, he means be busy. Be busy watching, be busy praying, be busy studying, be busy being righteous. Be busy. Occupy. Don't be a couch potato Christian. Don't be sleeping. Be awake, watching. Because we don't know the hour or day, but we can know the general time. So we've got to be watching so that we're awake when he comes, not sleeping. And the sixth word uh, is, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as, you remember that in 1 John 3, 2, the word is phaneru, number 53, 19, and it means appear in true character or manifest. When he shall appear, 
in his true character, in the manifestation as God, Christ, Lord, Savior, and all those names we heard about in the first message, the Almighty and the Father and all of the significance of all those names to us. Now, there is a Father and there is a Jesus separate in persons. Because the scriptures tell us if we deny the Father and the Son, that's Antichrist. And we are a liar and the truth is not in us. So there is a Father and there is a Son. This word means to render. Uh, out of the, uh, I'm closing here, I'm going to read a little more of this. Out of these six words, the one most used is parousia. But never in the sense of anything that is secret. Paul frequently used this word to refer to the physical presence of himself and others at various locations. He spoke of the coming of Titus to him, Perusia, from Corinth, 2 Corinthians 7, 6. And again in the same epistle, the coming of Stephanaeus, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 17. Again, when writing to the saints at Philippi, Paul used the word that would be coming, Perusia, to visit them. Furthermore, Paul spoke of the coming, Perusia, of the Lord and our gathering together to him as an event seen by all after the appearance of Antichrist, not in secret before the appearance of Antichrist. Not only Paul, but Peter used these words, parousia and apocalypsis, interchangeably. So, uh, I think that's, that's all I'm going to read of um, those um, words from those different Greek words that give uh, appearance when misunderstood and misapplied to be used to justify a secret rapture by those who do not believe and know the same. Now, let's go back to Matthew 24 and uh, verse 22 through 28. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the eagle, for, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Okay, you understand. Wherever there's a, a body out there, the vultures, the eagles, the carrion are going to gather at that place. So he's likened this to where the saints are is where Jesus is coming and where he comes is where we're going to be and he's coming in and we'll be caught up in the air uh, to rule with him forever and ever now there are a lot of things that are going to take place in transition at the return of Christ I'm not going to go into those today uh, there are we know good ways and bad ways and there are good people and there are bad people and uh, God, in his own wisdom and judgment, is going to remove the bad people and the bad ways from this earth. And he's going to leave the good people, reasonably, and the good ways on this earth. Now, we're included, uh, we're hopefully, as spirit beings, going to be included in those good people, bringing those good ways to this earth and teaching them uh, of the ways of God during that millennium then the great white throne judgment, then, you know, the second resurrection when everyone is given opportunity, then the end comes whenever, whenever God wraps up everything, and that's it for whatever uh, plan and purpose he has in the future. In closing, my initial question was, the secret rapture, is it a true doctrine? I think I've shown briefly today that the answer is no. It is a hoax. Whenever you read, whenever you hear, whenever someone is talking to you about being caught up, being raptured away, or seeing the bumper sticker, in case of the rapture, this car will be driverless. You know, all over the world, people are going to be disappearing. Now, 
That's going to happen in one sense at the resurrection when people aren't believing and when the, the believers, the saints, are going to be changed in a moment of twinkling eye and they are going to be... Now Paul uses the word and they misapply. I'm not going there in Thessalonians in another reference. He talks about that we will be caught up. That word is a different Greek word. It's not a Latin word, rapture. It's a different Greek word. That means we'll be, be caught up or changed. We're going to be... We're going to fly away, but we're going to come back. We're not going to be uh, disappearing and leaving uh, this world. We'll be in uh, ruins and left to the evil, wicked people like movies and books and things show because the saints are raptured and go to heaven and over up there and everything falls apart and hell on earth. No, that's not the way it's going to be because we're going to be straightening that out. Okay, it's very clear that the secret rapture doctrine is a hoax. I'd like to read uh, in closing from page 55. And um, just say also, the Bible presents the true doctrine, true doctrine of a resurrection at the visible return of Jesus to this earth at the end time. Now I'm going to read here again. I read this earlier. There is not a Bible teacher nor anyone else living in the world today who has found a secret rapture in the Bible by his own independent study of the Bible itself. These teachers all come to the Bible with cut and dried theories which they have learned elsewhere and twist and torture text to fit the theory. If the spiritual pedigree of these futurist Bible teachers could be traced back, they would all be found to spring from one source, Lacunta, the Jesuit.